BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. So, Anya, what have we been watching? We've been watching Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo. That was the song in the pup name Scooby-Doo franchise. Um, yeah, we, we watched two Scooby-Doo films recently. Uh, one was the 1988 Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. And the other one was the more modern day uh, 2020 Happy Halloween, Scooby-Doo. So just in time for Halloween. We're talking about your everyone's favorite mystery-solving hound. And before we started recording, you called me aside and said it was very important 
that we start off by discussing your long and storied history with the Scooby-Doo franchise. Yeah, I love Scooby. I mean, okay, so like this was my favorite fucking show as a child. I watched basically so uh, th- these episodes so many times on Boomerang that at, at a certain point in my childhood, I probably could have recited some of them by heart because <laughs> I'd just seen them that many times. I knew when you know Scooby's arm turned green due to an animation mistake when he was digging around some in, in some fish. I knew what types of Scooby snacks would be in each episode. Like it was just it was just it was a scary amount of Scooby Doo as a child. But that was really my first. Or at least one of the first things that I was, you know, uh, pieces of media that I consumed that was really mystery focused. And so I'd like to think that this is where it all started for me. So what emotional need did Scooby fill for you at that time in your life? Because obviously there was something. What do you mean emotional? Well, you said you were were obsessed with it. You're watching the episodes over and over again. So it wasn't like a casual thing. I was the type of child to watch something. And if I liked it, I'd watch it over and over and over again. I did this with Disney films as well on VHS tape back as, as a 90s kid. But uh, with, with Scooby-Doo, I think I just like the mystery. I like the ghosts. It's like sort of like some scary stuff happens, but you can solve it. You can figure it out with your friends and and make it, you know, neutralize the threat. Why don't you run us through the Scooby gang? All right. So we got, we got obviously Scooby-Doo, who is a large Great Dane who is very cowardly and can talk. <laughs> I should probably mention that first. He can talk. He's got a crazy voice and he loves to eat and hang out with his friend slash owner Shaggy. So he talks, but his his voice isn't always clear. Does he sound like he's drunk or what is that he, he voice? He sounds like I don't know, but it's it's unique to Scooby. And nobody seems freaked out that he can talk it's one of those things where they're just like yeah this is our dog scooby can ask questions he can argue with them he can give suggestions he can tell them how he's feeling so very much a different kind of relationship than most people have with their dogs well in fairness i often catch you arguing with our dog you can't hear her talk is that just me you didn't hear what she was telling me to do yesterday to you so let's move on to shaggy <laughs> He said he was friends with Shaggy. So tell us about Shaggy. Shaggy's basically like a hippie. He has a similar personality to Scooby-Doo because he loves to eat, but he uh, does not like to be scared. So naturally, he and Scooby are usually the bait to catch the ghosts, even though he frequently tells the gang his boundaries and he does not want to be forced to you know, deal with the ghosts. They constantly overstep those and force him into situations that he doesn't want to be in. As a weird side note, when I was small, I, he was probably my my crush on the show for some. So, what, what about him appealed to you? I, I think I don't know. I, I like I was like he he knows what's up. He's just trying to get a sandwich out of this. So I was like, that's very wise. So you that that was your ideal of what a man should be. Yeah, that was the masculine and then you, ideal. And then, and then you married me. Are you insulted yet? <laughs> Would you say I'm shaggy like? I mean, no, not really. I mean, Shaggy never seems particularly smart, unless you count, you know, not wanting to put himself in, you know, a dangerous situation. But, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't know, there was something that appealed to little Anya. Uh, also, you could frequently bribe Shaggy to do something he didn't want to do if you offered him dog food. Yeah, yeah. No, but like in the show, Scooby Snacks look amazing. They look like you'd want to eat them. And and if you've ever actually, I mean, I, I don't, 
I don't think I've tried a dog biscuit, but like they smell terrible. Like that doesn't that doesn't seem like it would be appealing. Never tried a dog biscuit. I no, I, I'm looking. I think I. Why wouldn't you? Aren't you curious? I think I did have a like a like a like carved off a small piece of one once because my mom was saying that in her school people would give you dog biscuits on your birthday for some reason. I don't know if that was like a Bronx thing. I don't remember the entire story. That sounds like something out of an old fairy tale (laughs) to punish you. (laughs) Was she like Goldilocks or Cinderella? (laughs) In the Bronx. So if you misbehave on your birthday, you get a dog biscuit? No, I think it was like a reward. I think people would, you know, just give it, your friends would give that to you. Keep you tough, I guess. So does that mean like at the beginning of the school year, you'd like buy a box of dog biscuits to distribute to your friends one by ones and their birthdays rolled Kevin, around? Kevin, you're asking a lot of questions. I don't, I don't have the information for you. Should we get your mother on the horn? Can I call, call in live? <laughs> what was the dog biscuit thing all about? Yeah, I, I, I remember that. So I think I tried one in the context of that and it was terrible. It was just tastes like chalk. Have you tried dog biscuits? Of course. Yeah, I eat them every day. How could you say I'm anything like Shaggy Rogers, <laughs> a.k.a. Norville Rogers? Why, why don't you text your mother? We'll have an update later on in the program. What, what was your take on dog biscuits? Oh, my uh, God, you're, you're eating them right now. <laughs> just cramming them into your mouth. That's disgusting. <laughs> well, I, I guess this thing about your mother explains uh, the birthday cake you made me last year. <laughs> That one, that one took a while. Now, Kevin Greenlee, <laughs> I make you delightful treats for your birthday. I, I, I was maybe trying to send you a single, I think, I think you're a dog, a dirty dog with fleas down in the sewers. If you're not careful in this discussion, Kevin, you're going to end up in the dog house. Forget dog biscuits. Obviously, the new issue of Dynamite came in the mail today because you're loaded for bear. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so, to round out the cast, the rest of the th- three people in the gang are more like the normies, kind of. Like, Fred is just kind of like a, like a jock. He's like the leader. He, like, usually is the one building the trap to catch the ghost. Uh, he's sort of seeming to be in some sort of relationship with Daphne, who's, like, just, like, I don't know, like the pretty girl. I mean, she like later iterations try to give her a role like, oh, she knows karate. She's a girl boss. But in the original series, she she just exists to get kidnapped or like fall into the trap accidentally. They call her danger prone Daphne. Um, and then Velma is like the one who solves the mysteries. She's like the, the smart one, the nerd, the one who's kind of piecing it all together. You know, sometimes with Fred's help, sometimes working together, but sometimes she's just the one thinking it up. Um, and there's another member of the regular cast that's going to be in one of these films. Uh, why don't you tell us about that other person, which you have cleverly tried to omit. You mean Scrappy? I mean Scrappy. scrappy Do is a controversial figure in the Scoobverse. Uh, he is Scooby's nephew. And unlike Scooby, who is large and cowardly, Scrappy is small and brave. So, uh, he's also very well spoken. Yeah. And he's also uh, a bit of a grotesque creature because he walks around on two legs and he's tiny, maybe comes up to your ankle. So he certainly doesn't come up to your knee. 
and his head is the size of, of his complete lower body. And he yells out a catchphrase, da 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 da, puppy power. And he's a, he's a, you know, he's, he's very bellicose. He's very uh, belligerent. He gets into scraps with the monsters, and Scooby always has to come in. Hence his name. Him. Yeah, Scrappy. He's, he's just, he's, as a kid, I don't think you really, like, you know, you're, you're just watching it. You're kind of like, whatever. As an adult, you're like, oh, just leave Scooby alone. Let him live his life. You know, stop, stop dragging him into things. And and at a certain point, the show very much becomes the Scrappy show. You know, because, okay, the thing about Scooby is there's so many iterations. There's the original series. There's the the new Scooby movies, which has all these celebrity that, That's what stars. I watched when I was a yeah. kid. The only version of Scooby I liked as a child were these, they called them the new Scooby movies in which the Scooby gang would inexplicably guest star with minor celebrities from the past. Like who? Give us some examples. Phyllis Diller, Jonathan Winters. And for me, that was the appeal. Because even as a child, (laughs) I loved old-time show business. And most of these people were people I would only see like once a year in the Jerry Lewis telethon. So it was fun to see them embarrass themselves on scooby-doo yes and it seemed like an odd decision for a relatively low budget cartoon studio to say let's do guest stars but it has to be guest stars we can afford which means they're not at the top of their earning power and probably won't be anyone any member of the target audience children will have seen or been familiar with some of the people were were dead too right i mean is that wasn't Laurel and Hardy a guest star? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were dead by the time those shows came out. So, raising a lot of questions there that I don't think we'll be able to answer in this show. But uh, they they saw the Three Stooges. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it def- definitely some definitely which, some which, odd which, stuff. Which uh, iteration of the Three Stooges was it? It was the classic iteration of Curly, Moe, and Larry, which is what most people know. So it wasn't like a Curly Joe situation? They didn't explicitly say that, but perhaps it was. I don't know when the Three Stooges died. <laughs> but. That, that was in their final short. <laughs> they finally just all kill each other. Um, but, you know, they, they, yeah, they, 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 saw, they saw Mama Cass. They, they saw... Uh, one of the monkeys. Didn't she choke to death on her own vomit? Did the kids solve that case? Yeah, the kids solved that case. That no, you know what's really horrible about the uh, the Mama Cass episode? They make they actually make fat jokes in the cartoon about her. I watched it later as like a teen or something, and I was like, oh my god, this is awful. This is awful. Like making fun of her for being fat on her own cartoon. I'm like, oh jeez. That's not aged well, but um, but yeah. So you were watching that iteration. I was watching the classic ones with some sprinkling in of some of the later series. You know, they change the lineup a bit over time. At some point, Fred and Velma aren't there anymore. It's just Shaggy, Daphne, Scrappy, and Scooby. Um, they have a, a supernatural one with Vincent Price, uh, called the Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo that was canceled on Ghost Twelve. Um, and then of course there's been some modern ones. Uh. What's new Scooby-Doo, stuff like that. Uh, so I've watched kind of a range of those growing up. As a child, I was really into Boomerang. I watched a lot of Boomerang stuff. So I felt like at a certain point, like I 
didn't like I was more of like a baby boomer than like a <laughs> than like a millennial <laughs> because I I my, my sense of humor and my like uh, cultural knowledge focused entirely on like Scooby Doo and like little rascals and stuff. So nobody well, knew well, that, what the that makes, fuck I was talking about. That makes you more like a Depression era child because the, the little rascals you watched were all the ones from the thirties, not the ones from the forties. Yeah, I I thought. I thought having a Follies would be a big part of my childhood at some point. That never came to be. I was pretty disappointed. Yeah, I think my reference point was a little bit different than... I, I wasn't watching... Is this, is this the time we should announce the upcoming Anya Follies? <laughs> Tickets now available. Is that just going to be you doing an embarrassing tap dance in front of like an audience of one person? And that's me? Your, your name is in the Follies. You're, it's going to be a one-woman show. <laughs> what, would you, what would you do in the Follies? What would your catchphrase be? We hope you like our follies. I don't know. I, 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 do, I, what would I do in the, maybe I'd try to get Lanny to do tricks, like try to do be a dog trainer and then have her completely humiliate and disappoint me on the stage. Would you do like a dramatic monologue or reading? <laughs> yeah. I'd like have a skull. <laughs> maybe I I'd do a tap dance. They always have to, they, you have to do a tap dance with the follies. That's the that's the law. It's not a follies unless it's uh, <laughs> unless you're doing a tap dance at some point. You can't well, legally call it that. I love for you to like, do like a monologue from like a Scooby Doo cartoon at your follies. Yeah, do like the villain speech or something. Yeah, you know I do it. I'm getting a far off look in my eye, <laughs> planning some big things. Kevin's gonna come back to the house one day, and I'm gonna have like set up a whole stage in the backyard. <laughs> Bunch of 1930s street urchins helping me. And you'd be advertising it on signs on our fence, signs that are crudely misspelled. Kevin, I feel like people in Indiana would come. I'm not even kidding. People in New York would be like, no. People in Indiana would be like, I mean, they came to that awful haunted house thing we went to. It'd be like that. They'd be like a, people would be parking on the street. It would be a disaster. What awful haunted house thing? The Hannah house. Oh, yeah, that's right. We went to a haunted house once here, and it was a clusterfuck. Why don't you tell the good folks about it? Because that's kind of Scooby-Doo-esque. Yeah, it's kind of Scooby-Doo-esque. We, we love, you know, we love haunted stuff. And, and we, we don't believe in ghosts, but, like, some of that shit can be kind of fun. And, you know, we went to this old house on the south side of Indianapolis. The thing's, like, falling apart. There's all these people milling about. Nothing was well organized. It was just all these, like, fake-ass ghost hunters in their little booths. And the house itself, which is interesting because it's, like, an you know, old house that was once you know beautiful and whatnot and they're just they're just letting it go to seed absolute seed and like i went to you know college in virginia so like that's a state with a pretty good preservation record in terms of trying to like save old buildings and it was like jesus christ like maybe maybe before you have a haunted house here you should make sure the building doesn't fall down on everybody the most chilling thing about it the uh, the detail they never had the guts to include in something like Scooby-Doo because that was geared for kids. The most disturbing thing was down in the basement. Yeah. They had cabinets full of rotting food for some reason. Like, and oh. and they stressed this food has been here for a long time. Spooky music played. Spooky music and it's like yeah, the real horror is botulism here, folks. I mean, and they're like, "Oh, this is, you know, grandma annie's preserves and it's like i don't think these got preserved honey like this is should, should we be selling tickets to our refrigerator <laughs> we had nothing that bad in it even at our worst you know uh, that it was just disgusting and, and and like they have all these like it's like all this stuff where they're like 
oh, this was a stop on the Underground Railroad, which is which would be very cool if true, but they have no citations. It doesn't seem to be any historical documents, and they excuse that by being like, well, you know, you wouldn't write about it if it was if it was, if it was on the historical railroad. And I was just like, ah, like as as somebody who loves history, I was just frustrated by the whole experience. It was just a big mess. Yeah, you stomped your foot that day more than once. Yeah, there was a lot of foot stomping going around here. But um but anyway, so and yeah. you also talked awkwardly with a few ghost hunters. Yeah, they were like the least charismatic ghost hunters I've ever met and they they had a little booth set up for the ghost hunters. Uh they were one ghost hunter booth had they had written uh some crude accounts of some of their adventures. And they had written this in handwriting on notebook paper, which they had, as I recall, they had carefully laminated. And if they go to that much trouble to preserve it, why not just print it out? I'm going to start a ghost conservationist group. Why are we hunting them? They're endangered. Leave them alone. They've been through enough. But yeah, I just, I, I, the whole thing gave me bad vibes. Lots of people walking around in Nightmare Before Halloween shirts. I just... It's, it was a poor choice by us, but a rare blunder. A on rare our part. blunder on our parts, exactly. But uh, it's so, but basically that ties into Scooby Doo because the, the central premise is these meddling kids, these teenagers, and their dog wander into some haunted situation, uh, figure out at least traditionally figure out. Oh, it's not really a ghost. It's some usually jackass professional who has taken to disguising themselves as some sort of specter in order to um, get the better half, get the better end on, on a real estate deal or some sort of fraud. And so they uncover them, that person is arrested, and they get some kudos, and then they move on. And in later iterations, supernatural entities became a thing. And I think, you know, I think the... I, I, it sort of makes you appreciate the original conceit, which was pretty simple, but it was basically telling you if some person is coming to you and being like, oh, this, this ghost here, they're probably full of shit and trying to get something out of you. So, like, kind of like, be on the alert for scammers, kids. And then the later ones were like, no, 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 no. I mean, monsters are real. It's all right. <laughs> so they kind of lost that. Um, and, and the ones we're going to talk about today are, are uh, two very so, different so, ones. So is this what inspired you to become like an investigative reporter? I'm not an investigative reporter. I'm just a reporter. Anyone who's telling you they're an investigative reporter, you got to look at them a little bit askance. Unless they're really doing a lot of good investigative work, my antenna goes up. Because usually that means, like, my, you know, I like to wear a trench coat and scowl in my author photo. It doesn't really mean that you're doing a lot of investigation. Should we tell people to look at your IMDb photo? I'm not scowling. I'm just wearing a trench coat. I'm smiling. <laughs> And smizing, smiling with my eyes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I love mysteries. So I, I don't know if that's because of Scooby-Doo, if I watched Scooby-Doo as a little kid because I innately love mysteries. I don't know. But So do you think this is what did it? Do you think if you'd like turned on the TV as a youngster and like the Jetsons had been on, you'd be like a science fiction fan instead? No, I watched the Jetsons too, and I watched the Flintstones, and I watched, you know, a couple. I watched Josie and the Pussycats. I watched Jabberjaw, but well, I mean, that's fascinating because you like science fiction, you like history, uh, you like dentistry, and you have your own girl band. <laughs> <laughs> so all the pieces are falling into place. But I'm terrified of sharks. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's amazing how you're like a collage of all of your uh, influences this as a what, child. This is what Boomerang did to me. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, and so we, we'll probably do some other Scooby episodes down the road, talk about some of the classic episodes. But So you've been warned. So you've been warned. But th- today we're going to talk about these two Scooby-Doo. Let's, we'll start off with the first one because it came out in the 80s, so it's first. Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. This, this mess. Oh, and I'll note that, you know, in, in honor of our, of our friends at the Fast and Furious crew, both of these movies feature extensive car chases slash races. That's a big element in both of these. That's why we sort of paired them together for you, because we felt that's thematically sim- similar. You know, the gang's on the run. They're in cars. They're, they're going, they're, they're driving. Shit's happening. Very fast so, and so furious. would you argue that each member of the Scooby crew has an analog in the Fast and Furious crew? Ooh, probably. I, I mean, obviously, Ludacris is Velma because he's like, but also Ramsey now. She's kind of the smart girl. He's the smart guy. They're the kind of, they're the Velma pair, I guess. Is Roman shaggy? Yeah, Roman's definitely shaggy. He's like the comic relief who's like, I don't, I'm scared. I don't want to be here. I guess Vin Diesel's Fred, Letty's Daphne, but Letty's like, capable Daphne becomes capable she becomes capable she becomes self-actualized they didn't want to kind of continue like the 1960s 1970s like damsel in distress so they like they gave her karate and then like another one she's kind of like the emotionally intelligent one the you know the empathetic she can talk to people so so she's she definitely plays a role in that sense um yeah I guess I guess that kind of who's Scooby I don't even know the cars are Scooby well, I guess the cars are the mystery Because machine. the cars talk and run away. Well, the cars are like a, big, they're like a big part of it. I don't want to make anyone a dog. <laughs> I respect them too much. And don't some people claim that Scooby, the Scooby crew is, are themselves analogs taken from uh, Many Loves of Dolby Gillis? Yes, they are. And they, uh, you know, Kevin winces when I bring this up because he's a big Frank Sinatra fan, but the uh, title Scooby Dooby Doo was taken from Sinatra scatting at the end of uh, Strangers in the Night. And that's not Kevin's favorite Sinatra song. No, it's not. Kevin spits on it. (laughs) Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's a... We can move on. (laughs) But yeah, um, you know, and of course, Scooby-Doo it was, you know, in, it, we, we had a lot of Scooby-Doo ripoffs immediately. It, it was very successful, so they had to do it again and again. They did Josie and the Pussycats. They did Jabba Jaw. They did the one with the car that's names escaped me. They Lots of different versions. Another studio uh, named Filmation did a somewhat similar show about the Hardy Boys. We'll do a future episode on that. We have much to say about that. <laughs> Because that was an experience watching it, but uh, stay tuned for that. We have a lot to say about everything. Yeah, we're just we never shut up. <laughs> People get <laughs> sick of us. <laughs> we get sick of ourselves. I, I really do. 
Um, so, so do you want to start by discussing the premise of the reluctant werewolf yes. or do you want to give your theory about it? Well, let's talk about the premise and then I'll give my pretty amazing theory. You're so vain. I'm pretty, I, I think I've made it all fit. <laughs> I'm so smug. Uh, so the, the premise is there is a, a, a vampire country, I guess, that Dracula runs, Transylvania, which is a real place, so don't really know how people from Transylvania I'm feel not sure you'd call that. it a vampire country, because at one point we see some of the citizenry, and they're not vampires. But Dracula's in charge of them. They're his subjects. Yes, but I, I, so it's run by a vampire. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's but it's a not vampire a vampire country. country. Well, I mean... I think you're. I think you're. I think you're playing with semantics right now. You mean it's a vampire? Are you country? worried I'm going to offend the peasants, the fictional peasants, by calling it a vampire? They country? deserve respect. You're always going. You're always attacking the working man, <laughs> the working Joes. They're not vampires. You're suggesting that these peasants take more in government services than they give back. You're calling them vampires, and they're not. They're hardworking Joes. Okay, the vampire-led country. Thank you. Was that so hard? <laughs> Such a wokester. <laughs> you and your old-fashioned ideas. Wake, it's the 21st century. It's 2021. <laughs> You're a bloodsucker justice vamp. Oh, no. <laughs> You're not even making any sense. I was trying to think of a planned social justice war. Nothing came to mind. Now, okay, so he uh, Dracula runs a country, and some of his his friends are the kind of famous Hollywood monsters. So you have uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. You have the Swamp Thing, which isn't a famous monster; it's a comic no. book character. The yeah, I know the Invisible Man. I think is there. Is he? I don't even fucking know. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Bunch of monsters. Frankenstein's monster. Uh, and Frankenstein's monster's bride. But there's one missing, the werewolf. What happened to him? Well, they get a postcard saying the werewolf retired to Florida. Oh, no. So, okay, whatever. Instead of just being like he's living his life, they're like, oh, no, we have this big race coming up where all the monsters need to do the race, and we can't do it without the werewolf. I don't know whether there's some sort of contract with like ESPN where they need the werewolf or, or what the fuck, you know, like the do donors or patrons. I have no idea why they need this, but they need it. They Th this need wasn't on ESPN because when we see the race later on in the movie, the race is actually broadcast by Dracula and his wife. And I think ESPN would have much better announcers. I agree. They kind of are just like making dumb puns the whole time. Um, and so... Uh, <sighs> They basically need to create another werewolf in order to have the race go on, which Dracula is very invested in for some reason. So he looks at a book which has prophesied who the... Now, what, what, what doesn't even make any sense is the werewolf... It's not like the werewolf died. He just doesn't want to participate in the race anymore. And why it's going to retire... I know, I know I'm thinking about this too much, but the, it's retiring to Florida... We see later when Shaggy, spoiler, turns into the werewolf, you know, he has a hard time getting around because everyone's scared of him. But I guess this werewolf is just going to go to Florida and that's fine because, you know, he's just going to go on a beach and hang out with people. Like, so 
already well, a lot of things like that have more to do with confidence so if the other werewolf is carrying himself confidently i'm sure people pick up on that and are cool with him that's fair that's fair they're like oh he just he's just a little different that's all right but shaggy's skulking around and looking all sketchy so they reject him so they they go so the dracula now this is where this gets kind of offensive in my opinion but Dracula up now it's, it's been, been totally above fine. Board. It's been totally above board. Dracula contracts his two terrifying henchmen, who the other monsters are scared of, and they come out and it's Hunch and Crunch, and they're the Hunch Bunch or Crunch and Munch or whatever the fuck that. It doesn't matter. They're the so the guy from uh, Law and Order SVU? No, not Munch. Uh, they, they, and basically they're only quote unquote monstrousness they have they have hunchbacks real people have hunchbacks it's a it's a it's a problem that some people have there's been a lot of historical people who are hunchbacked you know they're not monsters i was offended at this point because i was like come on that's what they're monsters just because they have a problem with their spine come on but anyway so they're going to be the ones tasked with getting the new vampire who the book that they have for some reason the new world oh sorry the new werewolf who for some reason is prophesized to be Shaggy. So they're going to go off and get him. We cut to Shaggy. Now, some some different thing. He's usually, how would you describe Shaggy typically in the Mystery Inc. gang? Like, what's his status? Uh, He's just kind of drifting along with them. He's cowardly. He likes to eat a lot. Yeah, he's not like the cool guy. No. Fred's the cool guy. So... This Shaggy is quite a bit different. He's not hanging out with the gang anymore, which is understandable given how often they... So there's no Fred. No Fred. There's no Velma. No Daphne. No. There is Scooby and Scrappy and someone else. Googie, his new girlfriend, and she's like this pretty blonde girl, and she's really into him. She's like, I'm crazy about Shaggy. She's so into him, and he's this cowardly man who gets scared just because he's near a dilapidated house or like sees a person with an obvious bed sheet thrown over them. He's terrified of that, but he has taken on the dangerous profession of being a race car driver. How does that fit? And he's very good at it. He's great. At, he's one of the best. He's going to, he's going to come to Indianapolis and do the Indy 500. I mean, he's that good. Mary Andretti, AJ Foyt, Tom yeah. Sneva. Bobby Unser. Spoken like a true. Ari Lyondike. <laughs> Are you done? Tom Sneva. <laughs> You've spoken like a true Hoosier. <laughs> so he's good. And he so he's winning this race, and then he has this hot girlfriend, and he's got he's the leader of the group, you know, because no one else is there. So they, and this all fits into my theory that I'm going to discuss later. So he's at the drive-in movie with his his girlfriend. They're watching a horror movie, which I think is supposed to be some sort of meta joke. And he's not scared. Again, this man was scared of like his shadow in the past. But here he's just, he's a normal dude. And the, the hunch bunch comes in in a big bat helicopter, which nobody else seems to see. And they basically figure out that if they can get the moonlight to hit Shaggy for the next, like, three or so days, you know, at some point, he will turn into a werewolf. 
So I guess this was just inevitable that he was going to turn into a werewolf, you know, if he if he went outside at night at a certain point in his life. Like, so I, that raises a whole bunch of... Why was he chosen? So he has, like, a family curse. Family curse. I, I, don't, I don't even know. It raises more questions. It doesn't make any sense. Is this the time for you to lay your theory out on this? Okay. The one you've been bragging about. This is going to knock everybody flat foot. Well, let me just... So... He gets turned, hold on to your hats. He folks. gets turned at the drive-through. He not the drive-through. That would be a whole other thing. He gets turned at the drive-in, and the hunch bunch kidnaps him, his girlfriend Shaggy and Scooby by basically and Scrappy and Scrappy by basically picking up their the car with the helicopter, which in real life would immediately crash. But we're not even going to talk about. And that. so at this point, he is a werewolf. He's a werewolf. Um, here's my theory. This, in order to make this work with the original series, which however ridiculous it was, seems seems considerably more grounded than what we're seeing here. Frankly, even the celebrity cameos seem more grounded than what we're seeing here because at least there's no supernatural shit going on. And frankly, if kids were constantly solving mysteries with the solve rate that the gang has, the Mystery Inc. has, they probably would rub shoulders with some celebrities because their star would be on the rise. You know, so... Like, this is making everything look so crazy because it's really embracing the supernatural in a very silly way and positing that Dracula is the president of some sort of Eastern European country and that Scoob, you know, uh, Shaggy has some sort of past uh, prophecy of being a werewolf and, 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 and it, it, you know, that actually happens. So here's my theory. This movie was written in-universe by Shaggy. Here's my evidence for the, for the, for that. This movie's all about Shaggy. This Shaggy is the star. He's the reluctant werewolf. He gets billing with fucking Scooby-Doo, who's the star of the whole series. Um, the whole focus is on Shaggy throughout the film, about his struggle. He doesn't want to be a werewolf. He wants to go home, but he has to be a werewolf. So he's, he's the star. He can do no wrong in this. He has this hot girlfriend. Chicks love him. He's a fucking awesome race car driver. He's got a cool job, cool gal. And and he's the leader. There's no Fred around. There's no Daphne around. There's no Velma around to boss him around, make him look like a fool. He's the one in charge now. It's his destiny. And basically, like, everyone's obsessed with him. It's not just the people who are fans of race car driving. It's not just his girlfriend. Uh, Dracula has this very sexually drawn wife who like like her, is wearing a very tight dress and is like the hot girl around the Dracula castle and she's constantly being like oh he's so cute oh he's so hunky this all feels like it's shaggy writing fan fiction about his life and you know like the shaggy we meet in the original series he's not he's got good points but i don't i wouldn't say he's that smart and i i wouldn't say he has the artistry to really write a really good scooby mo movie and this is not a good scooby movie so i feel like this i could see this coming from from shaggy so that's that's my thinking on the theory i i, I just chalk this up to being shaggy he's, he's been in this group that's been solving mysteries for a while he's getting a little bit sick of all the the gang kind of bossing him around so he's like you know what i'm gonna go hollywood i'm gonna write I'm going to write my story. But because his story is kind of like just embarrassing because he's always just kind of like tripping down stairs or, you know, yelling or running around. 
he's got to maybe throw in some embellishments. And then suddenly we have the reluctant werewolf where the embellishments have just taken over the whole thing. And, you know, and, and it's ridiculous as a result. And like he, he, he's, he's shopping it around different studios and they're like, you know what, whatever. If we slap Scooby on this, we'll make bank. So sure, kid, we'll give it a shot. And the, the rest of the gang are at the premiere and they're like, oh my God, this is just embarrassing. That's the theory. <laughs> That's the, what do you think? It's a fine theory. <laughs> Your finest work. I think it explains everything. I think that's why God put you in your mother's womb. <laughs> what the fuck? Speaking of your mother, has she re responded? So my mother actually has responded. My mother has responded to our previous inquiry about dog biscuit gifts in the Bronx. Uh, she said that a birth the birthday girl would have a corsage made of dog biscuits and then would give out the dog biscuits to her friends. And... Uh, yeah, so she, that was the kind of tradition. But the people who were a little bit more well-connected, maybe had a little bit more money, maybe a little bit more popular, they would get bazooka bubblegum corsages. That was, that was the step up. Was bazooka gum still around when you were a little girl? Yeah. I think so. Did you ever indulge? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have. But I, I think with me... Like, I remember gum was something, like, we weren't supposed to have in elementary school. And then, like, in middle school, everyone got really into gum. But I'd often just get, like, the minty kind of gums. Not really the bubble gum as much. It was, like, it was, like, it was, like, it was, like, having gum in middle school was, like, almost, like, having a cigarette in, like, old movies where you're, like, that, like, everyone wants to be around you now because you can, like, pass out the gum. That's so sad. Oh, like your middle school experience was <laughs> so cool and hip. People weren't flocking to a person who just happened to have a piece of gum with him. Everyone was your friend when you had a gum, a pack of gum. That's what I remember. So it was so transactional over something that cost literally a penny. It's all about what, what you have in the moment. <laughs> so is that why you started paying attention to me? Because you saw me have a piece of gum? I, I honed in right on you. I had my little sniper scope, but I, oh, he has gum, so I'm just going to run over it. You haven't had gum a single day that I've known you. You don't like mint. You you prefer other candies. Giving away all my secrets. I'm exposing you for what you are. So you, you attracted me because I introduced you to the wide, glorious world outside gum. Of high chews. Because before before all you knew was gum, you thought that was exotic. That was far out. That was the best you could aspire to. <laughs> so. I'm getting the impression you want to move on from this gum yes, conversation. I really do. I think this is, we're in a sticky situation. <laughs> I don't want to get stuck on gum. So Shaggy's now a werewolf. And. He's very upset about it, and I wasn't sure I understood why. Because when he's the werewolf, he still has his human mentality. And his human self, his human personality, is fully in control of this werewolf body. I think we can assume the werewolf is stronger than Shaggy is. Uh, and quicker. Can, and also, yeah. so what's the problem there? Plus, his, his girlfriend still loves him. 
So he has a love of a good woman, and he has a much stronger, more agile body. What's the problem? And he's unique. I mean, people would be fascinated by him. He could, he could get a movie deal out of it. Um, and and there's no indication that at some point he will develop a thirst for human blood, or, or you know, or want to eat humans, or attack humans, or lose control because he has full control throughout this movie, despite being in a stressful situation where he's angry at Dracula for doing this to him, and he continues to eat human food and really enjoy it so he doesn't seem to pose a danger to others so let me ask you if i step out tonight night on the town and a moon bean a moon beam puts a moon bean <laughs> a moon beam hits me and i become a werewolf would that change your feelings for me no i would obviously still love you i if there was a way to undo it i would probably want that because uh i, I don't think it would be fun to be a werewolf and kind of be kind of a people pointing at you and stuff but oh you'd feel like i'd overshadow you your ego would get in the way My everybody's <laughs> looking at the werewolf no one's looking at me is that what this is about so vain you're fucking ridiculous i'm, I'm getting attention as a werewolf <sighs> Is you that why? Like, is that why you why you stepped and ate that moonbeam? Is that be, because you were so fucking desperate for attention that you went and became a werewolf and made yourself look absolutely horrifying just to get some fucking attention? So I become a werewolf, and let's say the only way I can regain a werewolf, <laughs> the only way I can regain my humanity is by participating in a rigged race run by Dracula. <laughs> Because this is a situation Shaggy finds himself in. That uh, if he participates in this rigged race and wins, he'll become human again. Would you want me to do that? <laughs> so the choices are be a werewolf forever or have an opportunity to not be a werewolf by doing the, the, the profession that you sought out? By participating in a rigged race, and in order to help me, you... And our dog, <laughs> Lanny, would have to somehow get ahead of all the race cars, and consistently be ahead of all the race cars to give me warnings. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would prefer at least to try that. Yeah. Later on, you find out that he could have just stopped being a werewolf anytime because all he needs to do is get the magic spell book. So yeah. it's sort of it's it's all a moot point. But he participates in this race, and the race somehow the movie is like 90 minutes. But the race, somehow, through some mystery of time and space, I think there's some sort of wormhole technology involved. The race is 12 hours. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I don't know how they did that. And what happens in the race is Shaggy will be well ahead of everybody else. Dracula will have some scheme to waylay Shaggy. Shaggy is waylaid. All the other cars get well ahead of him. Shaggy overcomes the scheme and immediately gets ahead of all the other drivers, at which point Dracula comes up with another scheme. And that happens over and over again until the race ends with Shaggy winning and regaining his Oh, humanity. don't forget the step where Dracula makes some really dumb pun about the race or uh, Dracula's hot wife talks about how hot Shaggy is and how much she uh, is into that. Yeah, 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 Dracula is being cucked by his wife. On TV. In a children's cartoon. On Drac Nation. 
it's uh yeah it's it's pretty uh yeah it is what it is so then the, he wins the race becomes human again the movie ends and then we we never see his girlfriend again and this is also Scrappy's last appearance. Oh, don't forget that the movie ends with them going home. They're home. They're watching some horror movie. And then suddenly it pans out the window. Dracula and the Hunchbunch are standing there like, we're back. No pun. No, like, they're just back. And then it ends. That's. I always like it when a bad movie over-optimistically ends with a promise for a sequel that never happens. <laughs> One of my favorite things in this world. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that meme of somebody throwing the basketball backwards and like missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I wanna, I wanna note something because I don't know if this came across in our discussion, but like, the first like twenty or so minutes of this was actually kind of fun because it was so quick paced and things are just happening that are random and you don't understand why. And it's like the, the hunch bunch is trying to get shaggy. Shaggy's doing weird shit with the racing and having a hot girlfriend. And like, and you're kind of like, all right, I'm into this. They're watching horror movies for some reason. And you're kind of like, all right, where's this going? And then once it hits the race, boy, does this go, uh, go off the course. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate. Five star final on the reluctant werewolf. So I say I say, I would say that the first portion of the reluctant werewolf is a howl, but I'm reluctant to recommend the traffic accident that takes up so much of this movie. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, time for some Halloween festivities. Yes. Courtesy of Scooby Doo, courtesy of one Scoobert. Do. Scooby Dooby Doo. So, Happy Halloween, Scooby Doo was a direct to DVD film that was released in 2020. They've been doing, they you know, they've been still been doing these Scooby films for years. I haven't seen all of them. In 2020, we decided to to check this out while we were still living in Brooklyn. Then we did a rewatch this year, living in Indianapolis. Now we're talking about it here on Mystery to Me, just in time for Halloween. Yes. <laughs> so this one also has a lot of driving, but in a different context. Um, basically, it's a crossover with the Batman universe because it's it's Halloween. The gang captures the Scarecrow, not from Wizard of Oz, but from Batman. He's like a supervillain, Dr. Jonathan Crane, who I guess um, uses fear gas to make everyone scared of him. Yeah. And uh, they bust him, so you think, okay, it's fine. But then it appears that some of Dr. Crane's fear gas has infected a local pumpkin patch. The pumpkins come to life and begin devouring human beings. And the gang has to run from that. Yes. They all get in the van, everybody gets in vehicles, and they take off. It's like, it's like Scooby-Doo Fury Road. You know, it's a big chase. And they continue the tradition of having really up-to-date, relevant guest stars. Because this film was released in 2020 for an audience of children. And one of the big guest stars is Elvira, who was very popular in the 1980s by imitating someone who herself was popular in the 1950s. I had no idea who this was, to be honest. Right. Elvira? 
I didn't know who Elvira was. And you're, I thought you're she an was adult. an original character for the film at first. Yeah. <laughs> and then also the the one I did know the 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 pop culture reference I did know in the cameo I didn't know was Bill Nye the Science Guy. Right. Because I watched that that show as a child. And then Doctor, I guess Jonathan Crane himself is a is is a is a cameo. I guess they're doing more DC Scooby Doo crossover, which has historical precedent. Uh, there were a couple of Batman crossover episodes of Scooby Doo during the Scooby Doo new movies phase when they were doing all those celebrity cameos. They're bizarre. They're very bizarre. We'll probably do an episode on those at some point. So, do you like the idea of Scooby Doo uh, existing in? A universe with superheroes? I don't really because, I mean, like, I don't really care. I mean, who cares? But, like, the, the, the problem with this is, like, you know, they make Batman so dark and gritty nowadays. And Scooby-Doo's anything but. And nor should it be, I think. You know? It's a, it's a silly premise. Just let it be silly. But, like, they try to make Batman so fucking serious and, like, oh, you know, they're, you know, like, they, it, the Joker used to be this clown who robbed banks. Now he's, like, killing people and is a psychopath. You know, like. I, like so just to help us here, what would it be like? What would a very dark, noirish, grim Scooby-Doo be like? Scooby-Doo by Frank Miller. I guess maybe, like, one of the gang got murdered while looking into a mystery. The gang broke up. And then, like. One, you know, whatever main character of the gang you want to be the kind of the focus of this and Scooby-Doo have to team up one last time to finally take out all the corruption. You know, maybe, you know, everything leads back to and then maybe maybe one of the other maybe one of the other surviving gang mystery Inc. members is really the uh, Harry Lime character. You know what I mean? We were friends. I thought you were dead, but you were actually the man behind the mask and, you know. And you know some sort of sewer chase, so who, zither music playing. Which of the Scooby Gang is your Harry Lime character? Velma. I, I think for impact. Fred. It would. I would. It really could be any of them, right? Because with Velma and Fred, who are the smart ones, it would be like, oh shit, the person in charge of us all along was morally corrupt. And if it was Daphne or Shaggy, it was like we totally underestimated you the whole time and sort of wrote you off, but secretly you were playing us. What if the evil character was actually Scooby? Oh my god. <laughs> dun, 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 <laughs> and Scooby faked his death Harry Lime style. Scooby and Shaggy ride on a on a <laughs> on the ferris wheel and scooby tells shaggy about how he sees the little people down down there as just little ants one of them stopped moving why should anyone care especially if you have a few scooby snacks out of it yeah tax free (laughs) (laughs) scooby gives the cuckoo clock speech i don't know i mean i might be into it sounds like you want to see this should we send this episode to the folks over at Hanna-Barbera? Ending of the Maltese Falcon, but Scooby's let off to the pound. <laughs> to be put down. It's like they're, all- they're all after a they're all after a a, a, a Maltese sandwich <laughs> that they thought was, that was they thought was painted black, but it was secretly gold. <laughs> stuff the, the stuff dreams are made of. <laughs> oh my god! So Scooby was just like faking Dom. 
and being scared just to disrupt their efforts while keeping an eye on them. Fred pulls Shaggy away at the end of the shootout and says, forget it, Shag, it's Coolsville. <laughs> oh, man. I, yeah, I, I, this is why there should not be a gritty version of Scooby allowed. We've reached peak gritty in pop culture. We don't need gritty reboots for everything. We definitely don't need it for Scooby-Doo for the reasons that we've just outlined. <laughs> You just said you'd watch it. Yeah, because I'm a sicko. I don't want the kids seeing that. Maybe for the adult audience, for the grown-ups. Don't they deserve a Scooby who ages with them? No. And reflects their more adult concerns? No. Like how to pay the mortgage? No, just read an adult book. That's what I say. Read an adult book, watch an adult movie. Kid stuff does not need to become adult with you. Grow up. That's what I say. You're so harsh. Yes. I ha I hate taking like I just think that's I just think that's usually really stupid. Usually, you say. So is it one is there I don't want to make rules in terms of being, you know, always universal. I'm sure this good stuff and I just the whole darker grittier thing just bums me out. And also seems like just a in many cases a uh cynical attempt to squeeze more dollars out of your IP instead of investing in new and interesting projects. Now you kind of brought the house down. Am I wrong? <laughs> Sad zither music plays in the background. <laughs> Isn't doing an animated film in 2020 direct to DVD using old celebrities and Batman crossovers? Isn't that also kind of a desperate way to squeeze a little bit of money out of your IP? That's fair, but it feels at least like you're honestly doing it because you're at least ad adhering to the general spirit of the original property. And you're not trying to convince an audience of adult fans into thinking, oh no, my interest in Scooby-Doo is actually super deep. It was really getting at some of these questions about crime and law and order and mystery. And knowing yourself. You know, you're not, you're not like trying to pretend pretentiously some kid stuff. So how would you react it if when you were a kid you turned on Boomerang and it's an episode of Scooby like going up against uh, John Wayne Gacy? No! No! Kevin! Kevin, <laughs> no! What are you... I kind of feel something like that did happen to you. Why do you feel like something like that happened to me? That's where all your interests meet. Why don't you elaborate on that? You're interested in silly kid stuff. You're interested in horrible crimes. I think when you are interested in mysteries as a kid, you watch kid mysteries. And then as you grow up, you become aware that the world can be an awful place. And you become interested in, in sort of more real life mysteries. So it's just a, it's a natural progression. It's not like they're all totally unrelated. But it's also not as if I was uh, watching whatever horrible crossover you just mentioned. <laughs> Scooby-Doo versus John Wayne Gacy. Killer Clown. Yeah, that's... I do it as a kid watching Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper, which is kind of similar. I guess. Is that a movie? Uh, that was the basis of a couple of the Sherlock Holmes pastiches in films. Right. For some reason, I guess I just maybe put Sherlock Holmes in a little bit of a different category than Scooby-Doo. That's basically the same thing. Yeah, it's totally the same 
you know, Scooby-Doo, the mysteries don't have a lot of depth. It's usually just somebody who's, you know, trying to get some sort of land deal. In the Rathbone Bruce Sherlock Holmes movies, isn't Nigel Bruce an awful lot like Scooby? Yeah, basically Scooby. So it's basically the same thing. The mysteries there aren't deep. You're kind of waiting for Nigel Bruce to yell, Zoinks, and jump into Basil Rathbone's arms. (laughs) You've been shipping that for a long time. That's your big fantasy. That's my big fantasy. You want to see those two kids get together. I don't. I'm not saying. You want to see him him in each other's arms. That happens in a very non-romantic way throughout the Scooby universe. And I'm just saying. Oh, now you're being a little bit naive. Shall we get back to it? Yes. Now, so so basically it's this chase movie, uh, the gang and some other, you know, like Bill Nye, Elvira and uh, a, a father and daughter duo of randos who are just there are driving. They're having to get away from these pumpkins who've taken over uh, the Halloween floats at a local parade. The town has seemingly collapsed in and of itself. And, um, you know, they they. At some point, they drive up to uh, the federal, you know, police van that has the scarecrow in it. They let him out just so he can help them figure out what the fuck's going on with the pumpkins. And it sort of becomes clear that it's likely that it's not really what it seems to be. It's likely that it's not the fear gas infecting the pumpkins, but something else is going on. Because basically, it doesn't make sense that the fear gas would cause the pumpkins to literally come to life. Right. Yeah. But a bunch of people are getting eaten in the meantime. Some old lady reporter who I related to gets eaten. You know, uh, the, 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 the sheriff, the local sheriff gets eaten. Even the scarecrow gets eaten at some point. And you're kind of like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> are, they, are they really doing this in a Scooby movie? But um, a, lot of the, a lot of the kind of drama also centers upon Velma feeling like there needs to be a rational explanation, a scientific explanation, since she's the brains of the gang. She wants their, you know, everything to be rational. Um, but she also kind of, as a result, dismissed Scooby and Shaggy, who were the first ones to raise the alarm about the pumpkins to come to life, which they noticed while they were trick-or-treating. So she she needs to also come to appreciate them, even though they're scaredy cats. Yes. And also, in fairness, like, what the fuck, guys? I mean, y'all have been through enough together that I think if Shaggy and Scooby say there's ghosts, you can take that to mean there's somebody dressed up as a ghost. There is something really afoot, even if it's not literally ghosts. There's something worthy of further investigation. Like, if if if... if if someone's breaking through the window of our house while we're sleeping and I wake up and shake you and say, Kevin, there's a murderer breaking in. You'd be, you you wouldn't be like, well, get his name so I can look up his prior record. <laughs> You're never let me live that moment down. <laughs> you don't want to say he's a murderer without uh, checking, do you? <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, all this stuff's going on. Um, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of like, it was, it's interesting on the first viewing. I was like really into this movie. I was like, this is so fun. The second viewing, I was like, it's a little bit too referential and cute, which kind of takes you out of it a little bit. So I didn't enjoy it as much on the second drive around the block, I guess. But I, I thought it was fun on the first one. I liked some of the references. They even references the ghosts of the three stooges at some point, and I was like, nice. 
And I thought the normie dad brought some fun moments to it. So they, they it had some fun moments, uh, but it, there was a lot going on in this. A lot going on. But we hadn't seen the previous uh, films in this specific iteration of writers and directors, I guess, working together. Yeah, apparently there's some sort of intricate Scooby saga that you, you miss a lot of the nuances in this film if you haven't seen a bunch of the earlier ones. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Who would have? Uh, and, and so things come to a head. Uh, the mystery machine gets blown up. That was upsetting to see. The pumpkins destroy it. And things come to a head where they face off, the survivors face off with the pumpkins in a graveyard. So good, good setting for Halloween. Do you want to give the reveal? Do it. All right. So they, they face up against the pumpkins. Velma figures out that the pumpkins must be mechanical. They can't be organic. They, they have to be, something's going on here. So she actually throws herself into the main pumpkin's mouth and they're all like, oh shit. But then she comes out and she reveals that it's, it's a big robot and, and it's basically drone technology was used to do all of this. Right. And she releases a button and all the victims who've been eaten by the pumpkins fall out of the main pumpkin. They've been just kidnapped. They're okay. They're not, no one got eaten in the making of this film. And they figure, okay, who, want, who, would, who would do this? Because, like, I mean, the, the, the scarecrow is one of the prisoners. So they figure out that it was actually the sheriff who at the beginning of the film told them, don't meddle in this, get the hell out of here. Turns out that he was, I guess, some billionaire from a previous film who they busted, and now he he went on this whole revenge scheme to make them look bad on Halloween, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, uh, and then and, and it ends with the Scarecrow basically, I think, murdering him. Because <laughs> <laughs> they find his car out in a, in a, in a cornfield. <laughs> so that's a little <laughs> ominous, but... Uh, yeah, basically that's the film. I thought it was it was pretty fun. A uh, little bit too self-referential, but I thought it was fun. What did you think, baby? Uh, I agree with you. The first time it was kind of a rollicking fun time. This is not the sort of movie that uh, rewards rewatching. It's not. There's a lot not a lot of nuance to it. Uh, I didn't enjoy it as much the second time around. Yeah, I think for, for a kid's movie, if you have kids and you want to watch a fun Halloween treat with them, this is a great choice. But yeah, I don't know if, if it rewards rewatching as Kevin as Kevin said. But you know, it's it's a, it's certainly entertaining. And and the first time I watched it, I was general I was genuinely before I knew what the mystery was, I was genuinely like, What the fuck is happening? Because these pumpkins were eating people. And I was like, this has to be explained. But I, I couldn't think of anything either. So, like, the shock value of that definitely worked on the first go-around. We've been eating a lot of pumpkin pie lately. Can you imagine if those came to life and started flying at us? We'd be in real trouble here. <laughs> We've been eating a lot of pumpkin pie. Well, let me ask you this. Mm. Now, that, now that you've raised that horrifying prospect. So... The scarecrow's chemicals, at least, obviously the best scarecrow, obviously the best scarecrow story ever was in Brave and Bold 197. So the scarecrow's powers, he has chemicals or whatever that makes you experience your deepest fear. So if the scarecrow sprayed you, what would your biggest fear be? 
I have some qu clarifying questions. Is it like you hallucinate, like, let's say your biggest fear is being stranded on Mount Everest. Do I imagine myself on Mount Everest? Or is yes. it like something's happening in my world that's not real? You Basically, you imagine yourself on Mount Everest. You, you start living in a different reality. I'm in the middle of the ocean. The water is dark. It's flat. I look down. Biggest motherfucking great white I've ever seen coming at me. Worst fear. My worst fear would be never meeting you. Aw, you're sweetie. No, but what it would actually be like a... I, I, I just said it. Well, I mean, does it do like emotional fears like that or is it just visceral physical fears? Either. Oh. Whatever, whatever your biggest fear is. Then maybe you dying. No, you already said it was seeing a shark. What? Me dying is no big deal to you. Taking out me, taking out like an emotional, sad fear. That's it? No, come on. What would be your, I think I know what it is. What is it? You're locked in a chicken coop. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking this about. big chicken's walking all around. Coming near you. Near and near and near. <laughs> That's your biggest fear. Okay. What, what makes that brave and bold iteration of the scarecrow so good? It's the story of, in the DC universe at that time, there were like more than one Earth. And on one particular Earth, uh, Batman was married to Catwoman. And that th this story is the story of how they came together and how the role the Scarecrow played in that story. Oh, he brought them together? Inadvertently. <laughs> He's a dating coach. <laughs> He's a little matchmaker. It's a great story written by the great Alan Brennard. Oh, there you go. You uh, you read one of his other Batman stories, or at least the last page of it, To Kill a Legend from Detective 500. Oh, yeah, that was really good. I like that. Yeah. I did like that. I, I, I have to say, though, if, if Scarecrow was going around giving everyone fear gas, you know, when you do face your fears, you're traumatized, but maybe it doesn't have as much power over you anymore. Is there, is there something to be said for that? Or is the fear gas such as it throws your rational mind off so much that it doesn't matter if you've seen it before, you're just still scared of it? I think that. Okay. And also you'd be in a constant state of experiencing that. Forever? For as long as you're exposed to the gas. Jesus. Glad this shit isn't real. <laughs> Brave and Bold 197, everybody. Everyone check it out. Um, all right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Happy Halloween. Oh, wait. No, I better do my five star. What am I doing? Yeah, what's wrong with you? You're so moved by uh, my declaration. I'd say that Happy Halloween, Scooby Doo may not be as fresh as a newly picked pumpkin, but it's still a fun, spooky treat. And uh, Happy Halloween, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Halloween. Compliments of the season. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 
And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening.